Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive or if you think like one and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of Xquadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve even more extraordinary results. Because no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Welcome back. It's Davina Stanley and Richard Medcalf here today with the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. And we're so looking forward to talking to you in this next part of Richard's time framework, which comes from his new book, Making Time for Strategy. Last time we looked at the tactical challenge, the T in time, and it was the first of four areas that we're going to be looking at um, and helping you all become more strategic leaders. So today we're looking at I, which is for influence. Richard, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, influence. So as I think we mentioned in a previous conversation, Dev, we can't just stop with tactics, right? Often we have done that previously, many leaders, we've done our, we've implemented all our productivity tips, and yet we're not creating the, 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 the freedom that we need to operate more strategically. And so influence is a key part of this. And I'll tell you why. Um, imagine that you want to lose some weight, perhaps you want to do exercise, or perhaps you want to go on a diet. Um, the people, or the reason that you are most likely to fail, I would, I would argue, is because of the people around you. So what I mean by that is, let's say you want to go on a diet uh, and, and eat a bit more healthily. Well, unless your family on board, they're going to be the ones going, hang on, don't make us feel guilty about eating dessert just because... You want to lose a few pounds. Uh, they're going to say, you know, come on, have a glass of wine. It's Friday night, etc." Right? They're, they're going to be the ones who are going to be encouraging us to kind of keep the status quo because Absolutely. they benefit from that, right? They benefit in certain ways. Yeah. Yes. I've, I've known this from experience, right? I mean, when, when, I've, when I've tried to lose a, bit of, a few pounds now and again, uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And often it is because of this. Have I actually on, got my family on board? Uh, another one, if you want to do some exercise, well, again, there's a negative impact potentially on your family. Uh, if you decide you're going to go for exercise just at the time when the kids need you to help with their homework or you know, you're going to go running just when normally you should be helping prepare lunch or whatever, right? So if you decide to do that and you haven't got everybody bought in, uh, and agree, yeah, this is convenient, this is going to work for me as well as for you, um, then you're going to get pushback. And let's face it, most of us can't really deal with, and perhaps we shouldn't deal with, um, you know, consistently negative relationships around us, right? We want to figure out how things are going to work for the people around us. And so it's the same in the workplace, and that's my point. If we decide that we need to shift how we operate different, differently, then it's going to impact our superiors, our peers, and our reports in different ways. If we decide we don't want to do certain tasks anymore, we shouldn't be doing them, well, who's going to do them? It might well be our team. Have we got our team on board? 
And if the team do them, well, will it be at the same quality as if we do them? Well, possibly not to start with. So have we told our manager that they might have to expect a different level of quality for a while as we, as we invest in our team and build them up? Uh, or is it, or is it, is it perhaps going to our peers? You know, do we need to explain that it's not going to be quite as fast? And actually they don't, they can't just ping you personally on, on messaging to get their thing done. Uh, in a in an accelerated fashion, they're going to have to go through the regular channels, right? These are all conversations which are going to need to happen. And so, before we can possibly implement our plan, we do need to get our stakeholders on board, and that's the influence challenge. Absolutely, and keep them on board too. Get them on board and keep them on board. I notice more and more on people's email signature, and I notice my assistant Sheena, who's part time, does it now as well and says, you know, my regular hours are between X and Y, and mm. I'll come back to you as quickly as I can. You know, just some little polite piece so people mm. have a sense of expectations. Or, you know, I've seen a few people say they practice Cal Newport's deep work strategies. And so, mm. you know, I'm not ignoring you if I don't reply immediately, but I will come back quickly. You know, those kinds of reminders, I think, can be quite helpful. But how, how do you engage them? in the first place what are some suggestions you've got for that yeah so i think so, the, so first of all we need to kind of transform our crash plan into a stakeholder plan so what i'd say is you want to take your plan figure out who the key stakeholders are and kind of figure out what the conversations are to have because depending on what exactly you want to work on you might have different stakeholders for different parts of your crash plan. You know, there's a meeting you want to cancel, that's somebody else. That's There's a, there's a task you want to delegate, that's somebody else, and so forth. Uh, but you might also find that there's several things you want to deal with in one conversation with one person, perhaps your manager or a key peer or your team. So you need to kind of figure out what are these conversations. And then I tend to go th execute those conversations in the following order, up, side, and then down. So up first, manage upwards, get your boss on, on board. Um, then work with your peers, the sideways conversations, and then down, right? And then with your team. Now, the balance of power clearly is a little bit different in each of these conversations. With your with your manager, you're gonna or your board, you're gonna need to um, sell it a little bit more. You probably can't just impose your will. So you're going to have to explain what's the context. What are you trying to achieve with this? Why are you having this conversation? You're then going to have to uh, explain specifically what you'd like to change and what the benefits are going to be for you, but also for them. Um, as well as perhaps being realistic about what the negative impact might be for them, right? So this is what I'm asking you that you might have to swallow <laughs> in the short term, perhaps, as, as we kind of reconfigure things. Um, and then have that conversation. When it comes to, for example, our reports, we perhaps have to still it a bit less. We can tell a little bit more, but again, you've got to get buy-in. You've got to get people on side. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that you just go and you know, boss your team around and tell them exactly this is what they're going to have to do. You're also going to have to explain it and get them to buy in. So the balance of power does shift, but this is about influence. And so you're trying mm -hmm. to explain to people why why this conversation is happening, what the outcome is going to be, what the benefit is going to be to the organization and hopefully to them personally, as well as be really clear about 
This is what I'm asking you. And sometimes there might be a bit of pushback. There might be a bit of negotiation. But what you want to get to, <coughs> excuse me, uh, what you want to get to is an agreement. So at the end of that conversation, you look at each other in the eyes, you kind of shake on it, right? You say, yeah, I'll do it this way. And this is what you'll get. This is what you won't get. This is what I'll do to help us compensate that. So for example, let's say that your boss, you've, you said to your boss, look, you know, I really need to have focused time on a Monday morning between nine and 11. It's the only time in my week that I could possibly do it. And at that time, I need to really drive my strategic project forward. But I'm also aware in that time, it's the time when you tend to come back from your weekend and start messaging me and expect me to reply. And it's really creating chaos for me in my terms of my focus. So would it be okay, Mr. Boss, that we, that, that I, that you just accept that I won't be looking at those messages until about noon on Monday? And now your boss might say, oh, I'm a bit, I'm a bit. Mm. Ask the question, would it be okay if, rather than just saying, this is what I'm going to do too in that setting? Yeah. And, and it might be that they, they, they're not quite comfortable with that. They might say, you know, uh, you know, a whole morning on Monday, often there's urgent things that are coming in. Um, yeah, no, I'm not sure I, I, I really want that idea. So in which case you're going to need to renegotiate. You might say, well, how about, how about I, I commit to checking my phone uh, at 11 uh, and not at 12? Okay, well, that makes it a bit easier. And what about also if, if you really need to contact me urgently, like it really cannot wait, that you literally just ring me on the phone and I'll pick it up. But I won't be checking. I see it's yes, yes. And you can set your phone to ring, have different sort of filters, can't yeah. you, so that it only rings if certain people call. Yeah, exactly. So what you're doing here is you're creating an agreement that incorporates, you know, some of their needs uh, into it, but also gets you forward, right, moves you forward. And so I think this exactly. is really the, the kind of key part of the influence conversation is it's uh, explaining to other people what what you want, what you need, why it's going to be, benefit the organization and them, and also be sufficiently flexible to adapt it so that it is something that they can swallow. I think once you've done that, you've got the agreement. And then actually, it's so much easier because you're not having to push back against people all the time because you've had the conversation once, you've figured out the way forward, and now it's, it becomes so much easier. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? And I'm really intrigued by your order there, upside down, which of course is beautifully memorable. Why not up downside? Hi, this is Richard. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to tell you about my book, Making Time for Strategy, which is being released in January 2023. It deals with perhaps the number one challenge I've come across in my coaching work with top executives, how to get out of the weeds of operations and make time for the high impact strategic work that will lead to breakthrough results. If you're serious about multiplying your impact, you do need to elevate your use of time. So I highly recommend that you head over to makingtimeforstrategy.com where you can find out more about the book and download some free chapters. Now, back to the conversation. Well, again, it will depend on the particular areas, but I think um, 
I think it's, your ability to um, decide um, and and implement, you know, it, it, it's it's it, with yourself. It's almost you know, if it's just down to you, if you want to get up ten minutes earlier and read a book for 10 minutes. You know, you can almost do that without anybody else even ever knowing, right? Uh, when it becomes an organizational challenge where you've got to involve other people, then you have to, then it's gonna be easier if it's just something you can deal with with your team. So if it's just an internal team thing, you can just deal it with them. It's, it's gonna be the easiest because say you have that extra authority, you can kind of make some of those calls. Um, but I think because the conversations, because um, the, as I said, the balance of power is weaker as you kind of go up the organizational chart in general, then it is worth figuring out what is actually going to be possible, uh, first of all, with your manager or, or superiors, but then also with your peers, because your peers, you might need to negotiate as well a little bit about what, you know, what do you need from us? What do we need from you? How can we make that work? And so it's just that they, there tends to be the most room for negotiation, perhaps, in those conversations. And then the question, yeah. once you've done that, is that you can go to your team and say, okay, this is what we've been, you know, this is what, we're kind of allowed to do by the organization. This is what we've, this is what we've managed to renegotiate. How do we actually implement that together? So yes, I think that's kind of why I would say it that way, but it, it might be that you want to go to your team first of all and kind of strategize and plan before going to have those conversations. That's completely fine as well. You want your team to be on board. So I don't want to come over with some kind of hierarchical, um, you know, domineering leader saying you just figure it out with the bosses and then you, pose it on your team there has to be an iteration and you do want to ask your team as well what do they need to be successful but i think um in terms of where the hardest conversation is going to be it's probably going to be uh, with a broader organization but i could see just a very different sort of preliminary conversation with the team too to say look i'm i'm working on freeing myself up to make sure i can be more strategic and um, you know, you might have noticed that I'm always busy and, and however you want to frame it. Um, I'd like to just check in with you before I go and really firm up my plans. Are there any particular areas or ways in which or things you suggest, you know, we change? You yes. could ask them for ideas, couldn't you? And, and make them part of it very Absolutely. early on. And, and that's, and that's going to be, obviously, it's going to be a lot more effective. So you're right. If, if, if whatever you're doing, is going to put a big demand on them, right? So you're literally going to be assigning a whole chunk of work to them. Clearly, you need to have that conversation, right? I'm not saying you wouldn't involve them at the start. Clearly, you want to oh, no. um, explore that with them before going to your your, your boss or, or your peers. But there's also many excited. other things. They might be excited, <laughs> yeah. you know? I think, oh, good, there's going to be some real challenge coming down the pipeline. I'm ready for it. Yeah, 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 quite probably. Yeah. And, and so I think this is, I think these are, um, so th these are such, such important conversations. And, and I mm. think sometimes we like to shy away from them because there's a little bit of tension there, right? It's a negotiation. It's, um, uh, you're going to with an ask. You're going to actually say, I need something from you. I need you to accept something from me. It's pushing back. It's, it's, it's often easier to come with a give than with an ask. And some of these conversations, there is a bit of an ask involved. And so we do need to kind of get a bit, bit, we need to get confident and clear within us as to why we're doing this. And remember, it's not just for our own personal gain. Normally it's for the organizational benefit, right? We're doing it because we want to become more effective, more impactful and serve the organization, contribute at a higher level. 
So it's important to kind of come that's, back to that. Yes, and that, that's about the why, isn't it? You know, why am I doing this? Where's the value? Where, where's the value for you as an individual that I'm speaking to, but where's the value for the organisation as well? Exactly. Both of those things, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. So once we've done that, are we done with the influence challenge? Is, is that all we need to do with that? Well, no, not exactly, because what we've talked about there is having those conversations as part of implementing your crash plan, right, as part of making those big shifts. But the influence challenge also shows up in an ongoing basis. It shows us shows up every time a team comes to us asking us to help solve a problem that perhaps they should be solving by themselves. It comes to us each time we're invited to a meeting, which isn't really going to be a productive use of our time. We're invited to contribute to a project or board which doesn't align with our top priorities. And so we have to keep working on our influence. And, and it, for example, perhaps one key area is around our team. Right? Many managers, many managers will know this feeling that they're working on their, their, their own projects, their, their key strategies, and then they'll suddenly get a text from their team. And the team will say, hey, boss, can we talk quickly about such and such? And then that text becomes a bit of a thread. People message backwards and forwards. And then, okay, hang on, we need to talk about this. So we get on a call, and that call becomes a 45-minute call. And then, uh, and then after that, it becomes a set of emails. And suddenly... Your whole day is gone, um, and you've basically been helping your team solve an issue which perhaps they could have solved themselves. But I, what I find is that I ask people, and you're basically playing Sherlock Holmes, aren't you? Absolutely, exactly what I'm doing. And they don't just say, yeah, I, first of all, I don't even know what they're talking to me about when they first start. It's, not, it's unclear. It's unclear what they need from me. I don't know what the facts are. So I spend, I, spend, I spend that 45 minutes phone call basically extracting all the facts and all the details so I can help make a decision. And so this is a great example of influence because you've trained your team to work in a certain way. You've trained your team to actually come to you um, with unformed requests yes. that require you to do a lot of work to actually understand um, what are they even asking me? What have they done themselves? What are they recommending? You know, why do they need me involved in this? And so in the book, I don't need to go through it now because it's probably a whole, probably another episode on that. But um, I actually go through, you know, a technique um, to, to actually start to train your team to bring mm -hmm. issues to you in a way which requires you to invest much less time. So they become the problem solvers instead of you uh, having to become Sherlock Holmes on each occasion. And that's another example of the the influence challenge because it's changing the habits and the expectations of people around you. Yes, no, I love that. I really enjoy reading that section in the book about um, just a simple way of training people so that they actually do set you up for success and really optimise your um, your time when they're wanting your help. I thought that was terrific and put the responsibilities in what feels to me like the right place. Well, I gave a story in the book. I gave a story in the book about, um, um, I call it, you know, daddy, daddy speaks, Eng daddy speaks English because my kids are bilingual. When they were small, they would speak to me in French and uh, the mother tongue. And 
I had two choices. Either I would just accept that. I could, I can speak French. So I could just listen to them in French and speak back in English. But I really wanted them to be completely bilingual. And so whenever they would start to speak to me in, in French, I would make a big fuss about it. Oh, you know, daddy speaks English. What are you saying there in French? Are oh, you saying bonjour? Are oh, you bonjour? Would that be hello in English, wouldn't it? Um, uh, can you say hello? You try saying hello. And I, I just make this big fuss about it. So then they'd say hello instead of bonjour or whatever they'd be saying to me. And I say, well done. That's really great. And then I would answer them. And so the point was, I just made it so freaking difficult for them to speak to me in French. I may as well speak to that in English. It's just going to be easier. Yes. And yes. So, and so this, the reason I talk about this is, is that's what we need to do with the people around us in many ways. If we just make it easy for them to dump things on our plate, um, break into our day, interrupt us whenever, whatever we're doing, uh, give us their problems to solve, come to us with unformed requests that we're not, not sure what to do with, um, you know, break the system for their own expediency. If we basically allow them to do that, we're just training them in a certain way that that's the behavior yes. that we're happy with. And so as soon as we start to put some boundaries in place, actually, I'm not going to reply to my email outside of these times. So if you send me an email in a panic, well, it might have to wait. And so suddenly people will start to adapt based on how you're showing up and the barriers and boundaries you're putting in place. And that's, again, mm -hmm. a key part of the influence challenge. Yes, behavior is so key, isn't it? it is, you can talk until you're blue in the face. It's really about changing behaviors. And, you know, like with your children, you, you do that to them a few times in conversation and they just automatically learn. We speak to daddy in English. Okay, fine. We speak to daddy in English. So, exactly. No, it becomes that, easy. Again, once, it's, once, it, once you've created that, it then becomes easy. But yeah, yeah. I know you parents who never did that. You know, literally they have bilingual children and they didn't, well, they have bilingual parents, but not necessarily bilingual children, often because one of the parents didn't create that boundary at the start. Yes, so, I no, I can understand that. I've seen that too. Yes, yeah, no, that's a great, a really great example. And so that's influence. I think you've given us a lot of really useful mm. ideas there. And in the last episode, we talked about time. So that's T-I. Next time, it's mindset, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mindset's so key because it, it's about what keeps us stuck. Our own thinking keeps us stuck in low value activity. And so unless we address that, we're never going to do things that we feel are impossible because we're just trapped in our own, in our own thoughts. Absolutely. It's how we influence ourselves, if you will, isn't it? Mm. So no, I think there's, as I know there's, there's a lot of really terrific things coming for that episode. So um, we look forward to bringing it to you. If you'd like to see the show notes from this um, episode, pop over to xquadrant.com slash podcast. And we look forward to talking to you more next time about mindset. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.